0: Thanks for listening to the Pro Video Podcast, weekly insights into everything video, proudly presented by worldpodcast.com. Here's the host, Blair Walker. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Pro Video Podcast. Every week, we bring you insights into film, television, online video, VFX, VR, AI, everything that continues to grow and develop in this wonderful industry of ours. Today, we're going to be deep diving into visual effects with the man himself, Hugo Guerrero. Thank you so much for being on the show, Hugo.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I I really love your podcast, so I was very, very uh, happy when you contacted me.
0: I know that you're from Portugal, and something that I'm terrible at is rolling my R's. So I was terrified of coming on the show and not being able to say your name properly today. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's fine. Most people think I'm Spanish because of the word guerra. <laughs> but uh, it's it's not a problem. I mean, I I have a terrible accent. I can't really avoid it. I'm from Portugal. I can't do anything about it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's fine. Like <laughs> you said, my name perfectly. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love your
0: accent. I love I love Hugo's desk. I love the knowledge that you're sharing with the industry. When I hear you, you're so distinctly you. I think that that's, that's something that um, everybody's looking at, out for is that point of difference that makes them stand out. And you definitely have that in spades.
1: Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah, I feel I feel really relaxed when I'm doing Hugo's desk. You know, it's like it's like my 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 zone. You know, because it's off work. You know, it's like my part time thing, and so I'm I'm extremely relaxed. I think that shows in the videos. <laughs> definitely, definitely does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So um,
0: this audience, everybody out there, is from a wide um, variety of different areas of the industry. Do you want to just give everybody a few minutes, a bit of your background, who, who you are, what you're doing now? Out, and then we'll um, do some deep diving into some of your projects and career.
1: Sure, sure. I so I um, like you said I'm from Portugal and originally I come from art. So I I I have a masters in arts. You know, painting and sculpting. That was my originally th- original thing that I did on the '90s and. After that, of course, because art doesn't really pay my bills, I had to kind of like start doing other things. And I started, you know, I always had a video camera since I was very young. My, I was very lucky. My, my mother was very supportive and she, she gave me a, a video camera when I was like 16 so, I was always filming things, you know, filming things with my friends and doing short films. And and eventually, I started like earning money doing music videos and making like corporate films and, you know, from local industries and even ended up, there was even a time that I was a cameraman on a local TV show um, back in Portugal. So, of course, that kind of like, you know, pulled things from one side to the other. I started dealing with it in, into After Effects. I started playing around with Premiere, uh, and that's how it kind of started, you know. Um, so from there, I tried a bit in Portugal to see if I could get some work. It was a bit difficult, because Portugal doesn't have a big industry, so I I moved to Sweden. I was in Sweden for three years. I was like a art director uh, in Sweden, and also a compositor. Uh, I worked uh, quite a lot over there on a company called Animac. Um, mostly they did animations for corporate films as well, but I really learned a lot when I was there. You know, Sweden is a very progressive country, and it's a very modern country. So they were very fast at adopting new technology. You know, they had Nuke right away and from the beginning. They had all the latest gadgets. They had all the latest uh, tech all the time. And so that kind of, like, really helped my career. From there, I then moved to London, and, and I've been in London for over 10 years now. Uh, you know, started working as a as a visual effects supervisor on set for the BBC, working on some uh, TV show called Am I High, which is for for kids. Uh, then I moved on and I became a composter um, at Nexus. I was there for a few years, Nexus Productions in London. Really, really great company that you guys should visit for, uh, especially for their amazing animation work and motion graphic work. And then uh, at some point, I was called by the mill, like they offered me the job to be the head of Nuke at the mill. And I could really not say no, you know, it was always my dream since I was a kid to, you know, since I was very young to work at the mill, because the mill was always, you know, we all knew those commercials that they did in the back in the day, you know, the Chris Camingham things, you know, and all the commercials they did with Adidas and Nike, and I, I, it was always my dream. So I was really happy with that, moved on into the mill, uh, became the head of Nuke. I was there for four years, uh, with a, with a started with a small team of Nuke operators, and then it became quite big. You know, at some point, we ha- were almost 30 people on that department that I was leading, And I did hundreds and hundreds of commercials over there. It was one of my best parts of my career, learning from really experienced artists, working with some of the best artists in the world. You know, I'll never forget the time I had there. And and since uh, ever since, like for the last three years, I've left the mill three years ago. And now I've been working pretty much for myself. You know, I've been... uh, pursuing my career as a, as a director, because at the mill, I was the head of Nuke, and then I became a visual effects supervisor. But it wasn't really possible to be a director at the mill, because the mill has a lot of people that have been there for a long time. And also, uh, you know, mostly it's a post-production company, so the directors go to the mill to do things. Uh, so I pursue my career in 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 directing, doing short films, and also because I love video games, I started directing game cinematics for... Many AAA companies, you know, uh, I've done cinematics for Ubisoft, I've done cinematics for, uh, for Square Enix, I've done cinematics for Sony, for a lot of the biggest players on the games industry, and that's been my life for the last three years. Sorry, I I, I know I talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm just like telling you everything. (laughs) That's perfect.
0: It's such a um, concise explanation of your career path, which is awesome to give everybody an understanding of where you've come from and where you are now, where you have your own company, which is VFX Vault, and you're producing these cinematic trailers that are just so epic, and I'm definitely wanting to talk about those. But you're also (laughs) directing in short films, um,
1: Oakland, bit scary man. yeah that's right yeah yeah. so that that short film i i have i haven't finished it yet so i'm actually currently finishing it um it'll be out in a few months actually i'm i'm doing it it's a horror short film it's my second short film and i'm i'm really looking forward to putting it into the festival market you know uh, yeah. but yeah like you said i i have my own visual effects company with a group of people that used to work with me at the mill in other places um And that is my main uh, job. And I'm also represented, um, I I work as a director uh, for an agency in London uh, called Fire Without Smoke. Uh, So they they are, the majority of my work comes from them uh, because they are an agency specialized in marketing for video games. Um, And so that's that's why I do so many game cinematics. But I still do commercials and I still do uh, short films as many times as I can, Uh, you know. Yeah. (laughs) Cinematics what an opportunity to explore all the different disciplines
0: within our industry to really <coughs> u- utilize all the tools and creative executions that you can pull into any one project it's it's more than a trailer because a lot of this you're you're building everything from scratch at the same time it's it's something that a lot of people in the industry wouldn't have had a chance to have worked on a cinematic how is it different to say doing a film trailer and and, and what is it about cinematics that makes you so passionate about it
1: well i think you know uh, coming coming back to what i said you know working at the mill was a pleasure and of course it's a part of my life and i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the mill but the problem with working just with commercials or working just with films is that you get a bit stuck. You know, like uh, if you're in commercials, you're basically doing fast turnaround projects that sometimes can be quite creative, but sometimes they're not. You know, sometimes half of the time they're pretty lame and they're not really uh, very very good for your for your <laughs> self esteem. And then on films, on the other hand, because we are in it's so it's such big budgets that are involved on the creation of these films. It 's difficult for you to do something creative because you 're pretty much like a cog on the industry and you know? like there 's basically a huge machine of three hundred people and you 're just one of them and and that 's what really excite me about cinematics because for me game cinematics are just in the middle uh, here you know they're they're not as uh, short term as commercials but they're not as long as films yeah and so you you get to to wear a lot of hats you know like i i go on set and i become a visual effects supervisor and then i comp my shot but also I, I can direct and write some scripts and especially when you're working with the triple a games industry you're basically working with people that are very similar to your own passions so it's it at at the mill i always suffered a lot by by having to deal with agencies in the middle you know you have to kind of your clients are not really the final client and your clients a lot of times are not creatives you know you're basically doing a commercial for mercedes and you're basically talking with uh, one of the marketing directors of mercedes or you're talking with the marketing director of nike these are not artistic people but if you're talking with the games director Uh, For example, Mario versus rabbits. Like he's a he's a geek like me. You know, he plays games. He also loves art and he loves photography. And so we can geek out and we can kind of do a collaboration. And I think that's the main thing that I love about this is because I get to meet all these game people and I get to meet them. We go to meetings. We all talk about our passions and we literally collaborate you know uh, and to a way that i've never collaborated before and of course i when i look back I, I look at the mill and i think well you know at the mill we had huge budgets and we had these amazing commercials and i miss that you know i miss having big budgets i miss being able to to produce a, a flawless piece of work like we usually did back then but i also on my my end I don't mind doing smaller things now because I have creative control over them. And also a lot of times doing smaller things uh, provokes me and and makes me want to create more and makes me have to cut corners, you know, because I don't have all the money of the world. So I have to kind of come up with ideas that are cheap. And fast, and and you know, and they have to still look like they're expensive. I, I guess that's yeah. that's the idea, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you're working with some
0: really well-known brands as well. So, uh, Nintendo, Mario, and rabbits, Kingdom yeah. Battle. You're yeah. working with Ubisoft and Nintendo. Yeah, these are big brands that you're working with. That's what I think is so cool about the cinematics is that you have to represent the style of the game and the 3D aesthetic there, but then. on... You're also working on something quite different with, say, The Walking Dead, where it's a very yeah. different style and execution. Yeah. Do you mind talking about maybe
1: those two projects? Because they are quite yeah, different. Yeah. I guess that's also what what really fascinates me about doing these things. It's because I've never done two trailers that are the same. Yeah, I, I have done 13 trailers since I left the mill, and... You know, most of them I directed, co-directed with Will O'Connor from Fire Dot Smoke. A lot of times we direct together. Uh, We're like a directing duo, and and. They are just so different, you know. Like like a Walking Dead is like a a stylized two D matte painting extravaganza, and then the Mario rabbits is like a um, a real time engine rendered uh, trailer. As opposed to, for example, something that I just uh, just finished now. Uh, It's not out yet, but I I just finished the trailer for for Games Workshop and for uh, Warhammer, and that's a live action trailer. So it's a completely different thing, you know. So we we again, it's the the multiple hats thing and i I guess that comes back to the games industry itself you know what fascinates me about the games industry really and i know i'm going off topic i'm sorry i will answer your question but for for me the the games industry i know it's a bit cheesy what i'm gonna say but it, it almost becomes the opera of my time you know because it's not like film it's not like television it's not like literature it has so many different artistic things in it, you know, it has script writing and it has music and it has programming and it has the most advanced programming, almost mathematical level, but also concept art and drawings and hand drawings and script writing and acting and voiceovers. It is literally like opera, you know, opera used to be, you know, Wagner always said that it was the combination of all arts because you had cinematography and you had like, you had scenography, you had the paintings in the background, you had the guy singing, you had all those arts combined. And I've always felt that video games, of course, not all of them, some of them, <laughs> some video games are really pieces of art, you know, and I, I, that's what fascinates me. And, you know, I, I, I wish I could do games. I, I can't because I'm not a programmer and I don't know enough of programming to, to do them. But I try to to contribute to the uh, artistic development of video games with what I know, you know, because I'm, I'm, in essence, I'm a filmmaker. I always had cameras and I always filmed stuff, always did films. So I'm trying to make these films to help the games, you know, almost like advancing the medium that way. But um, uh, I know I went off topic, but to go back to the projects, I guess... The Walking Dead and the Mario Rabbits were my favorite projects last year because um, The Walking Dead, especially because it was such a challenging project. We, we were told by Skybound that we couldn't use any live action because I don't know if you know, but the TV show and the comic book are from two different companies and they are not allowed to crossover. Really, they are not. They do not crossover, and so. We were doing a trailer specifically for Skybound for the comic book era. like, And it had to look like the comic book. That was the main thing. We could not use live action. And for me, it was a big thing because I I always use live action on everything. And so we we had to make sure it looked very faithful to the comic book and that's why we used so many of the comic book covers as inspirations for our vignettes you know yep. it was that's what the trailer was it was a collection of vignettes of very uh, iconic scenes from the walking dead's uh, comic books you know we studied the comic books we read a lot of them we even got some art from them as well and it was a very long process. Uh, you know, we worked on that for like six months. This is something I forgot to tell you as well. That's, this is something I, at the Mill we were never allowed to do. We always would have just a month to do something. In the games industry, timelines are a bit more stretched because they are doing games for years, you know. So, so for them, uh, the, you know, and a lot of times you're doing a trailer and the game gets postponed and and, and you even have more time. And I like that. I like having a small team with very talented people, and we work for a long time on something, because that allows me to mature the project, allows me to look at it several times. And a lot of times we change it a lot. You know, I I just recently, a few days ago, I did a keynote about the Walking Dead project at uh, Vertex here in London, and I showed... Pretty much 20 shots that we did for The Walking Dead that never went to the trailer, you know, because we just did this kind of evolution of creativity where we tried something and then two weeks later, we didn't like it. And then we tried something else and then we didn't like it and. Kind of evolved and kind of matured like like a fine wine, you know almost like that, and I like to have time, I love to have time i I always prefer to have time than money for a project, you know yeah, I prefer to have a lower budget, but just time time yeah. is is the greatest thing for artistic you know I, I I like that awesome
0: yeah the the walking dead it really struck me I, I love the textures and the layers and the dirt and the scratches all the yeah. all the grittiness you know that 's um, that makes up that whole timeline and that whole world. Yeah, it's a very cool piece. It looked like there's a lot of 3D that's happening a little bit in the 2D execution as well as like some mocap data happening with zombies walking yeah. and things like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for a 2D execution, yeah. you're still utilizing all of the um, tools in your tool belt too.
1: I do, yes, because I, you know, I in essence, I, I always. Uh, I always pick up a project like if it was any other visual effects project, you know, I use the same tools always. I always have Nuke for finishing uh, Photoshop as well. And for basically creating the assets and I always have Maya to animate and rendering it in redshift. And, it tends to be the same tools because for me, it doesn't really matter what we're making because these tools are quite flexible. You know, they, they can be, and I'm, I'm also very software agnostic. You know, I don't yeah. really care what I'm using. I just use a lot of things um, and I use a bunch of softwares. But lately I've been stucking m- mostly with Nuke and with Maya and with Redshift, but it could change. You know, I've, I've used so many over the years. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. yeah, I I hear you there. And it's, it's about um, the fundamentals and I'm always going on about this. It's, um, yeah, I know when yeah. you're when you're when you've learned something, uh, um, a creative aesthetic, a technique, it doesn't matter. You can
1: translate it to any other application, Ab- yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And i I have a hard time explaining that to my students, you know, because my students usually are I, I teach a lot, um, on different schools all over the world and I do lectures and I they are so obsessed by knowing the the tech and they're so yeah. obsessed by knowing the the buttons and i i i really have a hard time convincing them that guys this is not what matters you know it really isn't yeah. what matters is that you know composition and color and you know uh, art and you know theory that's what matters and then you can just be an artist on anything i i can always learn a new software you know it's yeah. because they they tend to be the same they're just with different nods and different uh, values but and and it's difficult because you know people when they're young they just want to be obsessed about something you know so it's it's a bit different (laughs) yeah i I, I just
0: keep wondering whether it's just more tangible the technology than creativity which is very um subjective so i think it's easy to latch on to um the tech early on in your own personal development, but yeah, break free. Look at art. No, I, I, know, I know what you, I know what you
1: mean. I know what you mean. I, I had so many difficulties when I was uh, running the nuke department at the mill. I used to hire people. Have you know? I used to do like interviews all every week uh, and see a lot of show reels and. I I always had a hard time finding artistic people, mm. you know, people that, because what do you want to hire? You don't want to hire just the guy that knows how to click the buttons and then he has no taste whatsoever, you know. Yeah. You want to hire someone that has taste and you can leave him freely to do something. And eventually, like, what you really want to do is you want to hire people that are better than you. That's the idea. Because if you do that, then you learn with them and you advance the whole department together, you know. And um, So that was difficult, you know. Like, I, I felt always the the need to convince people to, guys, buy a camera, go and take pictures, you know, go to the museum. You know, the, you live in London. There's, like, free museums everywhere. Just go on Saturday and watch some art and go to a show, to a theater, or watch some good classical film. Films, you know, don't don't just watch, you know, bullshit movies from um, from Marvel. I'm sorry, I don't know if I could curse if I could curse on your podcast. I'm sorry, no, uh, so but good. Uh, <laughs> but I, I just I just feel people forget the basics, and I think that's probably because I I come from that. You know, yeah. I I I did an art degree, so for me everything is about the theory of the color and the composition we yeah. we we didn't even have technology on our school you know it was a it's a a portuguese school on the 90s you know portugal is not known for technology we didn't even had computers on the first years of the school it was all about drawing and painting and the classical things and i i guess it made me Classical, yes, but it also made me learn things that that are not connected with the times that we we have now, you know because yeah. it 's like classical things that have been happening for centuries, you know yeah, definitely um looking at classical painting and
0: the understanding of light you know i'm just always in awe at seeing the masters and how they saw light and replicated it and um, turned it into their own voice totally totally agree it's i was the same um when when we were studying the first year we didn't really touch a computer it was not until the second and third years but the it was always about the fundamentals of design and design theory and color theory and composition and gestalt and 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 you can get drawn into the tech side of the business and it's fun it's really cool like new toys coming out but you have to keep pulling back to the fundamentals of design to really be creative, artistic, and be commercially viable, really, in the long run. Absolutely. I, I Absolutely. do want to ask you, though, because I knew you a long time before um, you ever heard of about me, because I was part of FX PhD for a long time, and that's where I first heard your name, when you were teaching um, Nuke, and you're also teaching Nuke Studio and Hero. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that yeah, does
0: a few years back now, but you've been sharing and giving to the wider industry for a long time as well
1: yeah i i um I've always thought that you know I like to teach that's obvious and that's you can see on my channel that I like to talk and i like to I like to do lectures I like to do to to teach but I don't I'm not a, I'm not a full-time teacher because I don't believe the teachers should not do production so I I split my time between production and teaching and uh, sometimes it's not 5050 sometimes it's 80 80 and and I, I do too many things <laughs> but um, but I think it's it's important for a teacher to know and work in the industry otherwise he's not teaching he's yeah. just you know te- you know it's not he's not really giving the students the latest things that are happening in the world uh, but I I I always have this motto, I I believe in sharing and I I meet a lot of people that are always telling me, why do you have these videos on YouTube, you should just charge for them and you should just like not show these things because they're going to replace you. I have a lot of people that message me and say these things, you know, which is really surprising to me. But I I think it's on another way. I want to share as much of normal knowledge as possible because eventually some of these people are going to work with me. And eventually they are going to be artists as well. And not only... Me as an experienced artist, you know, I've been very fortunate and I've been very lucky to work in great projects. And I've been, I know I've been lucky because not everyone is lucky with that. So I believe that it's my responsibility to share my knowledge because I was so fortunate to work on these projects. And why not share them so that other people become good artists as well. And we all together can advance the art form and we can all advance video production and film production and games production. So it's not just about maybe in the future I'm going to work with people and I want to make sure the, the people work correctly, you know, because I want to have good artists around me, but it's also a responsibility and I I try to convince other fellow senior artists around me to do the same. Sometimes I manage, you know, there's been a few of my friends that have started YouTube's channels as well and been sharing things on FXPHD, been sharing things on other places, but there's still a lot of people on the industry that think that they have secrets and that they know things that no one else knows. And it's yeah. just, it's ridiculous. For me, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous because we live in a time that nothing is a secret and we should all just work together and that's it. You know? <laughs> yeah, I I agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah. yeah. And I've said that
0: so many times as well. By giving, you just get so much back and you don't know how that will be. You shouldn't be giving just to receive back, but it's true. You do get that. And by giving so much, people know who you are and respect you. And then I, I would think that that would mean that they come forward out of the woodwork to connect with you. So it's an opportunity to connect with people that would never otherwise you would have, like just as we are right now.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. No, I, I absolutely I agree with you, and and it's fascinating how I see how the organic things happen, you know, because when I started doing the YouTube channel, and even before I was teaching, I never really thought of a, about a, about it about it that much you know i just started doing some videos and it was never never occurred to me to become a business it never occurred to me that i could even earn money from it and and currently i am i'm, I'm starting to earn some money because now i have sponsorships you know i have companies that are sponsoring ship and and but the funny thing that happened was that i have even without even noticing I started being noticed by my clients as well, which is really funny. So for example, two years ago, I did this massive cinematic for Homefront: the revolution for them, and for deep silver. And we, I directed it with Will O'Connor again at fire. And we, we created a bunch of things for the game. We created lore for the game. We created gameplay trailers and a massive live action intro for the game. And, uh, the studio loves those videos on YouTube. They love to see the breakdowns and they, they actually retweet my breakdowns and they retweet my videos. And, and I even had the opposite. I've now had studios coming up to me, contacting me to work on cinematics because they've seen my videos on YouTube. Yeah. That happened recently. You know, I was, I was having a, a, a meeting with, uh, with the fellows on, on Iceland from CCP uh, for E-Valkyrie. and, we were just having the first meeting you know about because they wanted us to do a trailer for them for Valkyrie. and the first thing the guy says on the email like, like on, the, on the Skype call it's like by the way I've I, I seen your talk at FMX and I follow your videos on YouTube a long time I hope that this trailer can be one of the videos on YouTube it's <laughs> awesome oh, and I was okay. so happy I was so happy there because I was like oh shit we're not even we haven't even done the video we haven't even done the trailer but he's already kind of thinking well, it would be cool if he does a breakdown of it <laughs> (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, people people want the projects
0: and the work they are involved in um, highlighted and celebrated to be able to say. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I did. I was on that, so I can understand that. Exactly. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) Oh, so good, man. So good. Hugo's desk. That's the YouTube channel. There's so much great info in there. You really go into some great details. And the the series that I really like is you just have to be better. And then, yeah,
1: in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that that all comes from here. I know I know the people on the audience can't see, but I have a cup that says that. So so this is a sentence that I used to say at the mill all the time, and um, because I was I, w- I used to do my dailies, and when someone did something that wasn't very good, I used to tell them, "You just have to be better, mate." <laughs> and and they they gave me this cup <laughs> when I left the mill, and I, ever since I've I've thought, oh, this is a great name for a show. Uh, so that's that's how it kind of turned out to be. But uh, the whole idea of that show is just to do really small, uh, you know, small videos of just little tips and tricks, things that people might not be aware that are possible, or things that are maybe like shortcuts to do something that looks cool, but it's not very expensive. You know. Yeah. I think that's that's the idea behind that show. And, and, uh, and oh, yeah. sorry, carry on. No, no, no problem.
0: (laughs) I I also like to talk and uh, sometimes I just end up talking over people. So I'm always trying to be conscious of not doing that.
1: (laughs) I do the same. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So
0: these tips, tricks, these little insights that you give, what I always find fascinating is... It's knowledge that you didn't have, and then you gain that knowledge, and then suddenly you end up using it all the time. <laughs> it always yep. surprises yep. me. You uh, you put yourself in a place where you have some extra knowledge, and then the universe seems to align where suddenly you need to use it. So yeah, it's perfect yeah. content.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> I wanted to jump back to um, a couple of projects I really, really loved. The first was the BBC God Only Knows. I just. Oh, yeah. When I first saw that a few years back, uh, I don't know, it emotionally struck a chord with me. There's something really
1: warm and human and beautiful about that particular piece. Yeah, I, that was a great piece. I, 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 that was my last project at the mill. That was the last, last thing I did at the mill, uh, before I left. Um, I actually was already leaving, um, while we were doing the production, but then I, I stayed until we finished the production, but, that was the longest project I did at the mill as well. We we worked on it for over a year. It was a year and a half that we worked on since the the first thing that we filmed, which was Alton John, until the last last thing, which was basically um the orchestra itself. Um so I I it was was it was definitely one of my highlights of my career. I I enjoyed really a lot working uh, with the director Francois and and with the agency. Like it was it was amazing and especially knowing all these artists. But the 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 most amazing thing about that project was the not knowing what we needed to do or not knowing how we were going to solve it because. Yeah. There was a fundamental problem with that project. We we had, you know, the agency had this idea and Francois, the director, had this idea of making this music uh, orchestra with all these people. But none of these people are available to be on the same day on the shoot. That's just not going to happen, you know. That would be so expensive, and uh, it would never happen. So what happened was every time the BBC would have someone over for a talk show, you know. They usually go to, you know, the Graham Norton show or they go to a different talk show uh, to be interviewed, interviewed. What happened is that we would have Get a phone call by the BBC and they would say Okay, you you know, X Artist is going to, you know, Elton John is going to be In in London and he's Available for a few hours before he Goes to the Graham Norton show So can we just go down there and put a green Screen up and just film him And so that was a very challenging thing because A lot of times we were told by That we had the available artists that day before That we were shooting them And then we could never take them to a real Set or a real shoot, we would have to to go to them. That meant that that meant that a lot of times we, you know, Elton John we filmed him on the corner of a sound studio because he was recording a soundtrack and then we just put up a green screen and we shot him there. The same happened with Pharrell. You know, Pharrell was with us for like half an hour and we managed to just shoot him on a corner of the studio as well. We prepared that corner. We knew that, uh, you know, between one and two, he was going to be there. So in the morning, we just prepared with a double and we tried to be as prepared as possible because we knew we only had like 10 minutes. And so it was it was by far the most organic project I've ever done because we were basically filming all these people gathering those, this footage for over a year and none of us really knew exactly how it was going to look at the end because we were constantly changing it depending on who we were gonna get. Yeah, that's the thing because we never really knew who we were gonna get and sometimes we even had surprise people that we never really fought. you know give an example, the last last person which we, we filmed was uh, uh, Foo Fighters, you know like he he basically um, only is on the film. You know, David Grohl is only on the film because he was on the same studio when we were filming Brian May. And so we were filming Brian May and he happened to be on the same studio because he was recording something for him and he saw us filming Brian May. And so he asked, what is this? And then we explained what it was. And he said, I want to be on this. Can I be on this? And then we ended up filming him as well. And that, that happened a lot. I think this, this this never happened to me. You know, like this was the most organic thing we've ever done. That's and crazy. that's why he, that's why he's on the film. Like he was the last last thing we ever shot on the project, even after the orchestra. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it, it, it was a great project. I'm I'm very I'm very um, humbled by it, but also like very proud of it. You know, as well. Yeah, so, so. you should be. So you should be. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's really stunning. So much
0: compositing too. I'm like thinking of the show. Oh, I know, <laughs> Brian may it's like oh my goodness yeah, all, all those makers. I know we
1: we we uh, we, uh, we had a we didn't have a large team either so and I I was involved from day one like so I was on set on all the shoots you know we shot over 20 times uh, for the project I was supervised all the shots, um, and then I ended up comping uh, quite a lot of them um, at the end. You know, we we had a team of five compositors, and I was one of them. Um, I was not 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 only supervising it, but I also ended up finishing shots as well. And that was literally the last last thing I did at the mill. You know, I finished that project on uh, Friday, and I. that was the last day I was at the mill I delivered the project and then on Monday I wasn't there anymore (laughs) (laughs) it was literally the last thing (laughs) <laughs> being being a supervisor, but actually being hands on comping the
0: shots as well, especially under those, those circumstances where you yeah. you don't have um, the setup time in the studio time or the studio set up how you want it, was there quite yeah. a lot that you learned from um, that experience of being really guerrilla and setting up with these superstar yeah. musicians, like, yeah. and trying to get yeah. the nice lighting, the keys, and how much yeah. went into yeah. fixing it.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. I, it was literally like a guerrilla style, you know. I I, I was always remembering the you know the book from Robert Rodriguez you know the, yeah, um, yeah. the book he has yeah. I was always remembering his book because it literally felt like that, I felt like I was like shooting it and filming it and taking HCRs and, and kind of dealing with the lighting like we were, it was very messy but in a way like exactly like I like it as well because it was extremely challenging uh, to get it to work but um, but we had a lot of difficulties of course we had a lot of green screens that couldn't be key then we had to rotoscope stuff and yeah. we had a lot of shots that could didn 't be tracked and we had to do you know because we didn 't have motion control we had to track it by hand and but I, I think in a way that 's how the mill works you know the mill doesn 't really care about how we actually really actually did it. Mm-hmm. The mill is focused on the final result that 's it that 's the yeah. only thing they care about and I think that 's fascinating from an, from a from a visual effects point of view because a lot of companies, I feel, get too stuck on the process of getting the shots done. We never think about the process. We just do them, and we need to make them look good. And that's why the mill is so software agnostic, and there's, you know, you go there, and every software is installed on the computers. Every software. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a Max artist, or a Maya artist, or a Cinema 4D artist, or... Of course, there's a pipeline, and there's a folder structure, and there's a way of working... And that's, of course, needed. But, you know, you'll go across the building and there's like a 3D artist working in, in Arnold and Maya. But next to him, he has an iMac and he's fiddling around with Cinema 4D for some particles. And then next to him, <sighs> there's one of the 3D guys on After Effects doing something, you know, just yeah. to add something on top. And, and next to him, there's one of the guys on Nuke just trying something out. It is literally an experimental boutique and i i love it for that because it felt like we were always trying to invent things and experiment things that um you know always trying to break the rules which was great awesome it's um, such an amazing piece. We'll have the link to that as well
0: as the other projects that we talk about in the show and um, Hugo's YouTube channel as well. Our big shout out to Matt Lloyd who does all the show notes. Thank you so much, bro. Really, really appreciate it. You make my life so much smoother with writing up these notes and adding the details that make it useful for everybody out there listening to find these links and click through and watch these videos. And that's a must. You must watch that piece as well as the next piece I want to talk about, which is Leonard in slow motion, which is just a (laughs) cool project. What a, what a fun film. Do you mind sort of telling the audience uh, about that particular project?
1: Yeah, that that project was um, a collaboration with a longtime friend uh, called Peter Lvolzi, and he's the one directing it. So I, I work with Peter a long, t- a lot of times uh, when he when I was still at the mill. So I did a lot of commercials with him, uh, especially for the BBC uh, radio uh, commercials, which has like a like a puppet. Um, I love them. Uh, That's with, so uh, funny. So yeah, funny. So <laughs> those were those were directed by by Peter and Martin. So they are a directoral duo. But uh, Peter. Peter uh, did Leonard Slow Motion, he wrote it, and he invited me to be the supervisor and to actually do the visual effects, and it was a lovely, like, it was beautiful, it was a, such a nice project, I, I really, I love the script from Peter, it was amazing, and it was like three wonderful days we had on set on NLA, with Bruce, it was so hot, man, it was insane, it was like 40 degrees, so we had a lot of problems on that sense, but, um, <laughs> But it—it it was just a, an amazing crew, you know. Everyone was really on their top of their game, trying to make this entire short film only on three days. We only had three days, and it was a very low-budget production. But it also was really up my my alley because it was such a challenging thing. You know, we we didn't have money for motion control. For the audience that doesn't know what motion control is, is it's basically the ability to repeat camera moves without having to do them by hand, which means the the multiple plates you can shoot will line up automatically. Yeah. So we couldn't do motion control. So we, we did something that I usually call the Spanish motion control, Roto. which is, uh, yeah, <laughs> which is basically doing it by hand, you know, <laughs> which is which is um, which is the cheap motion control. Right. And that was that was the, the effectively the only way we, we found to do it because it was really challenging because we had to shoot, uh, you know, Martin Starr the actor, the main actor, uh, at 120 frames per second, yeah. but the film was shot at 24. And so we had to do all these really complex calculations to find out, okay, how long does Martin take to pick up a cup uh, at 120 frames per second? And, and, and then he has to match the dialogue scene with someone else, and maybe that person took five seconds to say his sentence. This is The same thing with camera movements, when he's running through the street, we had to calculate how long it takes to reach the end of the street, and then we had to move the camera at 24 frames per second at a... Much, uh, you know, different speed for it to match what we just filmed with him. So it was really like like difficult to kind of sort all that out on my head and and but but it worked. We we managed to calculate it correctly and we managed to we had a really a wonderful crew. Um and and we we had the Bryce our cinematographer. He was amazing on that. He was very helpful and I I like to work very closely with the crew. You know, I, I've always done that even at the mill. You know, we always hear these horrible stories about oh, the visual effects supervisor always have a hard time with set, you know, they never care about what he says. I have the ultimate trick for that. Uh, The ultimate trick for you to be heard on set is for you to get to know the people that you're working with. That is the way you do it. Basically, weeks before you shoot, you go out and have a pint with them. Weeks before you shoot, you have Skype meetings. Weeks before you shoot, you get to know them and you get to talk to them and share some ideas and share some stuff when you reach that point of collaboration that you had lunch already you had dinner already you had a drink maybe you even visited its own how homes you became became buddies you know then when you're on set everything is just normal and everything just becomes a collaboration and so when he's doing something he will basically say oh wait a minute let's ask Hugo about this and that is the difference if you just get shoehorned into a set in the morning on the same day I am sure you will never get respect. Yeah. Because the crews have been working together for decades. They have earned their own respect by working together. They know each other. You can't just expect to show up pretending that you know a lot of things and just boss people around. And that's the trick. And that's how, that's why Lennon Slow Motion was such a not easy, but friendly project because we knew each other. We were friends. We, we got to meet, you know. I, I got to talk with the first AD days before, and I I that's the that's the trick. I used to do that at the mill as well. Every time I was supervising a commercial, I would try my best as much as I could to contact the first AD, to contact the DOP, to contact these people, the the gaffer, the main gaffer of the project to talk to them several days before. And you don't even realize how much grateful they are with that. You know, they, they, they turn to me and say, shit, it's, this is great. You, you know, we never get to talk with anyone. No one actually calls us. No one tells us anything. We don't even know, you know. And so it, it, it just becomes easier yeah
0: respect of the team that you're working with it's such a big um lesson in in any part of the industry that you're working with you know absolutely great insight so with that particular project were you doing a lot of um tracking of both the off speed and the 24 frame and then reprojecting it and roto there must be a lot of hard work putting it back together
1: yeah, so a lot of a lot of times, like, there were shots that were simple. Like, some shots, we basically had a master camera. So, the imagine the 24 frames per second camera, the main um, actor's camera, would be uh, with a camera move. And so, that would be our master. And a lot of times, if the camera wouldn't move too much, or if the parallaxing wasn't too much, we could allow us to shoot a slow motion uh, shot on a locked camera, on, on sticks, you know? And then we would track in the slow motion asset into the normal plate. That worked for the majority of the shots where we just had normal shots of people talking or people using their coffee mugs or things like that. Now, for the moving shots, that was a different ballpark, of course. Then then it was the opposite thing. What I did, for example, on the shot that he's running through the on the first shot that shows up on the film we used the slow motion shot as the master. So we basically, what we did was we filmed him at 120 frames per second. uh, And then I stabilized it because it was shaking a bit because it was such a fast speed that we had to run with him. And then I tracked the whole thing, 3D tracked the entire shot. And then I reprojected and tracked in the other assets. So what we did was we shot all the other plates at 24 frames per second with a similar speed and a similar camera move. And of course, because I don't have motion control, it's not possible to match them. But you'll get enough parallax to fool. And so what you do is you pick up the plate. For example, if you have a person in the front of him, you pick up the plate to fully stabilize and lock that plate. And then what you get is you get a stabilized person that actually parallaxes sideways. And then you put that plate into the 3D track that you've done with the slow motion plate. And that means that he moves with the plate, looking like it was part of it, but also he's parallaxing exists normally and so that means he curves and he actually bends as he should as he goes in, reaches the corners of the edge of the screen or he goes in off screen you know that's kind of how we did it and the same thing with lens distortions we've made sure that we undistorted those assets first so we could put them into the plate and then redistort all of the plates together as one single comp. I know it sounds simple. It's not that simple, but it's it's effective. It works, you know. It definitely worked uh, that that shot uh, and all the shots. There's
0: quite a few VFX shots in that film. and Yeah, there's 55 shots. <laughs> yeah, they all look <laughs> mint to me, mate. They look really good. <laughs> Thanks you, thank you. So I hope that you, um everybody out there, has clicked the link and watched that because I think it'll make a lot more sense to watch it and then hear what Hugo has to say. So. Um, Um, Yeah, if you didn't, watch it now and then rewind and have a little listen again about what Hugo's approach for that was. And now it's time for the Pro Video Picks. Hugo, this is a time of the show where we're going to jump into the Pro Video Picks where we can get some um, insights and inspiration from you to share with everybody else. So, Hugo, what would be your Pro Video Pick for this week?
1: Uh, So, I... I was uh I have quite a few I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't have just one. Um so Oh good. I guess <laughs> I guess I guess for me like uh in terms of inspiration, I would—I have a few suggestions from YouTube, actually. So I would uh, advise everyone to watch every episode of Every Frame a Painting. Yeah, that is one of the best YouTube channels that I know of. Um, I also would advise people to watch every episode of Channel Quizwill, which is also an amazing YouTube channel. And if you guys don't know, you can also check out Art Regards, and also Now You See It. These four YouTube channels are, for me, one some of the best work in terms of video essays in YouTube, you know. And YouTube is not just cat videos, you know. It has a (laughs) lot of good things. (laughs) It has a lot of good things, and it's funny how to how lately over the past three years since I, I now work uh from home i work remotely with all my artists youtube has become part of my life you know i i watch youtube every day and i have youtube uh, like i used to when i was a kid uh watching tv yeah <laughs> so <laughs> yeah there's
0: so much so great I, content out there it's amazing
1: there is there is so so that would that would be my pro picks for you guys to check out as inspiration um awesome yeah, but I, I have a couple of other things that I would um, also say mm-hmm. uh, if I if I would be allowed. Um, so, if you want something really relaxing that doesn't really have anything to do with this world, you should def- definitely check out LGR, which is a YouTube channel called Lazy Gaming Reviews. And it just relaxes me because he opens up these computers from the 80s and the 70s. And he basically finds these mint IBM computers from the 70s and opens them and packs them uh, live in the show. And sometimes he finds, like, still sealed copies of the original Monkey Island, you know. And it's it's amazing. Or he sometimes finds mint copies of of original software, you know, like Word 1 from Microsoft. (laughs) And he just goes through them and not only opens the boxes and talks about the little history of them, but he actually runs the software and he actually runs the computers and tests them uh, with games of the era, which is it's great. So you guys definitely should check out LGR. It's it's always like my go-to channel every week. He makes two videos per week. Okay. It's always my go-to channel to to kind of just chill out and see someone opening an IBM from the 70s. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'll have to check that
0: one out. I haven't seen yeah. that. So it sounds fun. So Hugo, inspiration and influence. This is really can be anything that you find your influence and inspiration. So what would yours be?
1: Well, I, again, I, I, am sorry. I always have a lot of influences because I, I never really, never really am a very big fan of these people that have like this question, Or oh, what's your favorite film director? I, I have many film directors that I like. Uh, so I, I would say that without a doubt, Stanley Kubrick is my biggest inspiration. I am truly obsessed by Stanley Kubrick. Unfortunately, uh, he died before I could meet him. Um, But I have every book from Stanley Kubrick, as you can see here on my shelf. Uh, And I really always use Kubrick as my inspiration. I also use David Lynch, David Cronenberg, and John Carpenter. And if I go a bit more back into the world, back in cinema history, I also love the work of of, uh, Eisenstein and the work of Max Opels. So those are kind of like, just to name a few, my biggest masters of cinema. And for me, these people, it's like if you think about this. A lot of directors copy, right? Like they copy other people or they make inspirations or they do homages to other people. You know, if you look at Interstellar, it looks a bit like an homage to 2001. The directors that I just talked about, Kubrick, Lynch, Cronenberg, Eisenstein, they didn't do homages. They created those homages. You know, they basically created the language of cinema. So they didn't copy anyone. They made the stuff that people copy now. And that's why I think they're so fascinating to see But because I'm a geek and I'm a gamer, I have to talk about games as well. So for me, it's always a mix between cinema and games. I am truly obsessed by the Silent Hill series. I think it's some of the best games ever done, especially Silent Hill 1 and 2. I also would say Shadow of Colossus and Last Guardian is some of the best work that's been out there in games history for the last 10 years. And then I have some, some guilty pleasures, you know, Resident Evil 7, I love it, Metal Gear Solid and Half Life, to name a few. But for me, Silent Hill is the pinnacle of, of weirdness in cinema, like almost like a cinematic horror experience. And they truly, give me a huge amount of inspiration um, both from the soundtracks and also the art as well and talking of art another piece of inspiration that i really advise everyone to do is to buy every book of art of that you can find so every time a, ge- a film comes out they do a book called the art of and uh, i have hundreds of them as you can see here on my shelves and it's good for you to buy them right away because they got us. They go out of stock immediately because usually is very short runs. But if you look at some of the books, you know, if you buy the art of even a a Marvel film, you know, like Dr. Strange, or if you buy the art of, of, of the black Panther, even if you buy them from these really popular films, there is some incredible concept art and incredible pieces of inspiration that you can learn from these books because these books have the original concept. And, Unfortunately, the original concept art is always better than the final thing. Always. And so you get the purest form of art on these games and TV shows and, and films because those are the original ideas that came from the very beginning of the production and they're not the stu- they're not like washed out by CEOs and by producers and by other people influencing. Those are the ideas of uh, an art guy that just sit down in Photoshop and painted something because he, ra- he read the script and of course that then mutated to a weird film in the end but those books are just fascinating i think awesome awesome picks! like so much
0: there for everybody to dive into be inspired from and i'd also love to know what would be your inspirational video for this week
1: inspirational video for this week um that is a really tricky tricky one um for me to say i'll do something maybe it's a bit obvious but for me like the i really a big sucker for silent for for science fiction films and uh, for me under the skin was some of the best cinema produced in the last 10 years and not only is this you know not only he has been really overshadowed and not really uh, people don't really take his work uh, seriously but I think Under the the Skin is a masterpiece. And so if you guys haven't seen that film yet, you should go and buy the Blu-ray specifically by the blu-ray because it has a couple of it doesn't have a lot but it has a couple of making offs it has a couple of uh, interviews unfortunately it doesn't have an audio commentary which is something that i love i love to engage in hearing audio commentaries but i think audio commentaries are becoming a thing of the past unfortunately because uh, when you see films on itunes they don't have them yeah but uh i i would really recommend to to check uh, under the skin if you haven't seen it awesome awesome pick thank you very much for that one Hugo,
0: where can everybody follow you online? Where's the best place?
1: I would say that my most active is Twitter. Uh, so you would find uh, my Twitter is Hugo C. Uh, that's my Twitter handle. Um, so you can kind of see there what kind of talks I'm doing, lectures, what videos I'm putting out, what work I'm doing. Um, and of course, you can follow my YouTube channel called Hugo's Desk. Uh, that will also uh, be... The, I, I guess those are the two main places. I also, of course, have Instagram and I have Facebook, and it's the same handle, you know, Hugo Sigarra on, on uh, Facebook, Hugo Sigarra on Instagram as well. Uh, but Twitter is my active uh, thing, you know, so... Sweet, man. And and if if anyone just... I'm sorry to shoehorn this here. But if anyone wants to support my YouTube channel, I also have a Patreon. And so they can also go to patreon.com slash Hugo's Desk. And like I I said to many people, my videos are all free. But of course, if I can get uh, some support and some donations, it will always help to run my shows. And also it will help me to actually focus on more videos because... A lot of times I have to make a choice by doing work that pays the bills and I put my channel on the side. But if I can get more money from my channel, then I can do more videos. So if you want to support me, go to Patreon, Hugo's Desk. Wicked, wicked. Really encourage everybody to show that support.
0: Check out Hugo's um, channel. There's so much information in there. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's just so much. I, w- I wish I had more. You know, I wish I I only I've only done forty five videos so far.
0: <laughs> so I'm really excited to see what you produce in the future and help support Hugo on his Patreon page so he can produce even more because that knowledge is going to come in really handy at some point. So I encourage you all to do that. You can find me on Twitter at Blair Walker. You can follow the Pro Video Podcast on Twitter at Pro Video Podcast. And we have a Facebook group as well and a Facebook page and a Slack group. All of those links will be in the show notes. Big shout out again to Matt Lloyd for that. But yeah, so all of Hugo's and all of my links will be in there. Really love you to join the Slack group. Get in there, have a chat. There's a lot of um, cool conversation sharing going on. So love for everybody to join the Slack group. Hugo, who would you suggest I ask to come onto the show? Who would be your suggestion?
1: first person that came to my mind was a dear friend of mine called Jordi bars. And so Jordi bars used to be the head of 3d when I was still at the mill. And then he became creative director at the mill. He then eventually left the mill and he was creative director at, at glassworks. And he's now a creative director at Framestore. He is not only an amazing human being, But he's also some of the biggest inspiration and best artists I've ever met. He's not just a 2D artist, he's an artist. He's a 3D artist, a 2D artist, a painter, uh, and a director of everything. You should definitely um bring him into the show i think he would have a lot of things to say (laughs) awesome thanks for that i'll
0: um be hitting him up so uh geordie i'm coming for you because hugo sent me (laughs) hugo thank you so much i have to have you on another time because there are so many things that i wanted to dive into that i think would be great for a future episode so thank you so much for coming on the show today
1: Oh, not a problem. It was my pleasure. I love to talk and geek out like this. And I love your show as well. You, you, you're doing some amazing work on podcasting. I, I'm really, truly, really, truly grateful to be, come, to be invited. So thank you so much.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Really appreciate that. That's awesome. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope you have a great week. And we'll catch you next time. All right. Bye. Join the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at ProVideoPodcast. Please subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes.